thank you for listening to Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church. Our hope is to inspire, refresh, and encourage you to be lights in a dark world. This week, we continue a series called Escaped, Not Giving Into Temptation. If you do find this message inspiring or motivational, please follow Pastor Cedric or Commitment Church on Facebook and Instagram. Download our podcasts on Anchor.fm, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and other platforms. Now, here's Pastor Cedric. All right, so I'd like to welcome you to Commitment Church if you're here for the first time, and also uh, for those who are watching via online. You may be seated. And um, uh, we are finishing a sermon series I've entitled for you, Escaped. And that is past tense, ED at the end. And why did we put the ED at the end? I think it's important to underscore this because um, what we're saying in this singular word is that uh, the escape has already happened through the finished work of Jesus Christ, right? Because of what Jesus Christ has done already, we have what? Escaped, right? Therefore, it is our responsibility to what? Walk in the the escape that God has provided for us through his finished work. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the sermon series, is that I I strongly like to admit personally that I'm not immune to temptation. A lot of times you think, oh, he's the pastor. He don't have temptations. Well, that's a lie, right? And we know, matter of fact, many times uh, the more responsibility you have, the more temptations will even come your way, right? Uh, So therefore, Underscore that to put you in, if you would, uh, good company, right? That no matter who you are, if you're standing up here or if you are wherever in life, whatever you do, however you serve the Lord, the reality is there will be temptations that will come your way. Now, here's the challenge we face is this. I shared with you early on is that we will all be tempted, especially if you have the right soil, the right seed, and the right season. All you need is the right soil. All you need is the right seed and the right season. At the end of the day, we all will fall short of the glory of God. Now, that being said, we have the awesome promise that we've underscored in this series. And the purpose was this, to encourage the body of Christ not to give in to their temptation, but to use the room for escape that God always provides for each one of us. He will always provide a room for escape. How do we know this? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 was our our primary uh, foundation of scripture, right? It says, no temptation has overtaken you except something that is what? Common to man. Again, what that should do is encourage you I that with that whatever you go through, whatever you're going through, there is somebody just like you going through it as well. It's not something foreign. What you are going through right now, no matter what it is, is not foreign to man. It is something that someone else, you know, probably your next door neighbor, someone within this local church, someone in another country, they're going through the same temptation that you're going through. But then it goes on to say this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says this. It says, and God is what? Faithful. So even in the midst of the temptation, He says, God is what faithful so that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're what you're able. So you're be tempted. And no matter how you're feeling today, and you may feel as though that the temptation is overwhelming you know factually without a shadow of a doubt that you will be able to bear it. 
That's the first promise you find in there, right? Secondly, you find this, is that he says that there will be a temptation, in this temptation, he will provide a room for escape. Secondly, and thirdly, he says this, so that you will be able to endure it. So let's park there for a minute before we get into our lesson, just as a quick review. So you'll be tempted. You will not be tempted more than you're able, number one. Number two, he will provide a room for escape. Number three, he will give you the ability to do what? Endure it. So think about this. So, and we're going to define two of these key words as we progress today. But as you are waiting for God to provide the escape, he will also give you the strength to endure. Amen. Right? No matter how long you've been waiting, no matter how long you're required to wait, his promise is that he will give you the ability through the power of his Holy Spirit to endure the wait. To endure the wait. Make sense? So that being said, we've uncovered in this sermon series that our three most uh, clear ways that we are always being tempted, and that is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and a boastful pride of life. It's either one or the other or all. <laughs> it's, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, pride of life. We will all be tempted. Listen, you may say, well, no, you're not. Can I, can I maybe burst the bubbles? Here's the deal. This lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes were found in the garden when Adam and Eve was tempted by Satan. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes was also found where Satan himself was tempting, of all people, Jesus. So think about that for a minute. If Satan is trying to tempt God incarnated with lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, what do you think he's going to do to us? If he's trying to get it over on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, what do you think he's going to try with us? And that's why even though this lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and a boastful pride of life appeared in a garden, right? Because I want knowledge as, I want to be, to know not the knowledge of good and evil. I want to be like God. That's really what it's saying. Boastful pride of life showed up there. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life showed up there. It showed up where Jesus is. Guess where it's going to show up today? At your doorstep and my doorstep. But what I'd like to do is conclude this sermon series with hope. <laughs> and the hope is this. I would like to give you four ways you and I can successfully escape our temptations. You ready? You ready? Yes. Are you ready to learn four ways how you and I can escape our temptation. Open the scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 5 gives us our, four, our first of the four ways that you and I can escape our temptation. In these verses or even in verse number 1, you find a couple of keywords. Um, and then also verse 13, you have some keywords as well in that 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. So two keywords, verse 13, you have this. The word escape, you know what it means? A way out, secondly, an, an exit. That God will always give you and I an exit. Amen. An exit plan, an exit strategy. He will always give us the way out of whatever we're in. Second word, endure. He will also give you the ability to bear it patiently. Amen. Right? But here's the dilemma, church. The dilemma is... Will I patiently endure it until the escape comes? 
That's always the tension in life. Will I wait on God, wait on God patiently until he provides the exit door? Will I wait on God patiently, right, until he, he shows me the way out? Or, listen, the way out could already be there, but it is my responsibility to begin to what? See what God has already provided for me. Make sense? First way that we able to escape these temptations found in verses 1 through 5, it says this. Before I go on, remember the context. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth had all kinds of temptations going on, family issue, personal issues, sexual issues. Everything that is known to mankind today was jumping off of the church at Corinth. And he was simply saying to them, what you need to do is listen up to the failures of others. You need to begin to see exactly how the children of Israel acted in the wilderness, which is synonymous as the way you and I choose to act today. So let's think about that for a minute before we really answer our questions today. Think about that. How many times do we find ourselves before God acting like the children of Israel? He parts red seas. He gives us water from rock, from rock. And we still complain, we still grumble, we still don't believe, we still don't trust them. Now, this is the real good one that Christians do. Well, you know, if, if, if I was there during that time, and God allowed me to walk across the Red, you know, the red Sea on dry, I, I would never do that. How many times have you heard that in the church, right? I would never, if I was there and I saw water coming out of rock, manna from heaven, quail dropping down, I would never grumble and complain. Come on now. Let's be real. How many times do we today have our Red Seas? God allows us to walk across a dry land. And when we get there, by the time we get there, we're already grumbling and complaining. We've already built up other idols, right, that we're worshiping. So just, just for the record, right? And that's why you see this, this, this message that is timeless that Paul is giving the church, right? It's not just for that church at Corinth. It's for the church today because you know why? Sin is sin and people are people. We're just the same. So it makes sense? Verse number one, it says this. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. And they were drinking from a spiritual rock. This is pretty cool. Underscore this. Which followed them. Think about that. What, how does a rock follow us? Here's the answer. And the rock was who? Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. So, so think about this today. Look at us as a church. So you can say even today that for most of us, is God well pleased? Is God well pleased? In other words, are we acting like the children of Israel? Are most of us acting like him? Keyword that gives us our first answer to the question, how do we escape temptation? Number one, always, always stay aware. He says, I don't want you to be unaware. The word unaware means this, not to recognize, not to know, 
to be acquainted with. So think about that for a minute. God does not want you to be a person who don't, does not recognize him in your wilderness. He doesn't want you to be a person who doesn't recognize that the same temptation, the same temptation knocks at your door time and time and time and time and time and time again. Don't walk with blinders on. Be self-aware. Be aware that you know that when this happens, I act this way, right? When this seed comes in my life, I then know that it bears what? This kind of fruit. Don't be unaware. The word unaware also means this, not to know. It means to be acquainted with, not to be a person who's unacquainted with, again, yourself, self-awareness, right? Don't be unacquainted with the character of God. Don't be unacquainted with, with what life brings. Don't be unacquainted with what happens in the wildernesses of life. Right? Because let's be honest, all they do is repeat themselves over and over and over again. I like to say it's, it's like this. You, right? You have the United States Postal Service. You have UPS now. You have, you have Amazon. You have all these delivery agents, Right? Same content in the package, wrapped differently. It just appears at your doorstep by another delivery person. It appears at your doorstep, listen, with another brand on the package, but same content. Right, so we got to be people who are aware that, you know, it's the same thing. All it is is just a different dressing on it. Right, you understand? Same temptation. I react the same exact way. I need to become a person who is aware. Why is this so important? Number five, verse five. The words laid low, scattered like corpses in the desert, put out of action. Do you know that happens so many times to Christians? It's because they are unaware they're now put out of action. Sitting on the sideline, should be in the game, but they're on the bench. Put out of action. Because I'm falling prey to the same temptations over and over again. Let's go further. The word lay lows means this, stricken, ill, sick, affected by an impairment of normal physical or mental functions. Do you hear that? So in other words, there are times that Christians will be, become so unaware that they get so consumed by their environment, so consumed by their sin, that they ultimately become physically and emotionally impaired. Ever been there? I like to say it this way. We get stuck on stupid. We just, be, we're circling Mount Sinai, circling Mount Sinai. A three-day journey take 40 years. Do you realize when we disobey God, many times the weight of it, the bearing of something, would even cause physical impairment. Not to mention psychological and emotional, right? That's just another level of it. But we must become people who are what? Aware. If not, we're going to also be what? Lay low in awareness. We're going to be impaired. We're going to be affected, sometimes physically, sometimes mentally, and emotionally in in distraught situations because we're choosing to continue to walk in ignorance and not be aware that it's happening to us time 
and time and time again. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32 says it this way, but I'm just only going to read you some things in part because when you look at these verses in, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 2 through 4, it simply says this. It said, you know what? Temptations doesn't care who. You can be God's chosen people or you can be a person walking through the door for the first time. Temptation doesn't care who you are. You're going to be tempted. But this is also something to underscore. With temptation, there always comes consequences. And that's why you look at Romans chapter 1, and please read Romans chapter 1 at home in your entirety, or in its entirety at your own time. But verse 24 says this, Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurities so that their bodies will be dishonored among them. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for what is unnatural. And it also says the men did the same thing. Verse 28, it says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a deprived mind to do those things which are not proper. I like to say it this way. If you want to go play in a sandbox, he'll just let you go play. But the beauty of the greater grace of God is this. He lets you go do it so you can get full of it and realize there's nothing you can find there outside of him Amen. to force you to come back. Go try it. Go, go do whatever you want. Go try to be God. Go try to control the situation. Go try to control life on your own. And it nets zero. So you can find your way back home. You see, here's a challenge. To be unaware is simply living unresponsive to God. It's being unresponsive to God. It's like, how many times does he have to leave the breadcrumbs? How many times does he have to give warnings? How many times does he have to give second chances before he says, it's okay, apparently you're being unresponsive. Have at it. So be cautious, church. If you, if you lose your unawareness, it ultimately nets out painful consequences. But also know with God's grace, immeasurable grace, the consequences are only but tools to bring you back to where you should be. Amen. At a responsive place before God, that you're always responding to God. You're always responding to God. The, the still, small voice of God, you're always responding to God. You don't need any extra measure of, of, of grace because part of many times tribulation is but God's grace on display. But we must be men and women that when we are in these places of temptation that our antennas go up and that we are aware of our surroundings, we're aware of our character, right? We're aware of what all we, we again, we, we're aware of the seed, the soil, and the season. After this awareness, you find in verses 6 through 11, our second way to escape temptation, it says this, now these things happen, please underline that, as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they do crave. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. 
as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and sit up to play, nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell on one day, nor let, let us, uh, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and, and were destroyed by the serpents, verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer, verse 11. Now these things happened. You see it sandwiched it in. These things happened to them as what? Examples and they were written for what? Our instruction upon whom the ends of the age have come. So here we find there's, here's our second way to escape our temptation is that we must become men and women who learn from other people's pains. Do you realize that God would allow you to see from a distance the life of another person that looks like your life coming 10 years from now. 10 days from now, 10 hours from now. But normally this is what happens to the church. We see a brother or sister go through something and one of the first things we say are things like this, oh, they must be in sin. Right? They, they must not be walking with God. They may not be saved. I don't think they're saved. Right? You know, their heart must not be right with God. And we, we begin to, to, to use all these religious narratives, right? Develop all these relig religious narratives as though word of man. But what we should be as men and women, as the scripture says, enter into your brothers and sisters suffering. So that you could begin to learn how to feel as they feel and experience in their life rather than, listen, th this is the two things we should be doing. We should be seeking after them, praying for them, providing encouragement to them. Secondly, helping them re-navigate back into the body of Christ. Not putting them on display, but learning from them. Restore such a one, it says, with, with grace, lest you fall into the same temptation. So many warnings on how you are graceful with people who are going before you. So, so there has to be this, this awareness of, okay, God, I see what's happening. I'm not going to pass, pass, you know, pass judgment because I don't really know the ins and the outs and the workings and the mechanics of what's happening behind closed doors. I don't know the intricacies of their hearts. I don't know their thoughts before they think them. And if I do know, think, I think I know their thoughts before they think them, then I'm being whom? God, the boastful pride of life then God normally has to come and do what? Cut our legs from, uh, from under us. So what we should do is learn. That's why you have a couple of key words here in verse six. Examples. The word example means this, a pattern to be imitated. In other words, you can rest assured if that person falls into sin, you don't want to replicate that pattern. But you learn from it. It also goes on to be defined as, as this. This is pretty cool. Just strike with it repeated strokes. Anybody know the old school typewriters? Remember that? When, when it didn't go through the ribbon hard enough and it didn't, the letter didn't appear, you always had either the T to U or something that just would get stuck and you would just have to repeatedly strike it. That's what this is saying. You, you keep, you keep pushing 
You keep striking it. You keep striking. You keep striking the T. You keep striking T. You keep striking T until transformation occurs. Until it is embedded in your heart. It also means the pattern and conforming to which a thing must be made. It's like a mold. Someone else's life should be the mold by which you're able to shape your life. You see their failure, you learn by their failure. But then you also have have the words would not crave. It means to exist or to be present. So in other words, I'm seeing someone's life and God let it not be what I crave. Last key word, instruction, verse 11. It says this, instruction means a warning. Any word of encouragement or reproof which leads to correct behavior. So, so as we are learning from others' pains, we should be men and women who develop correct behavior. You see, I, I've, I've learned in life this, is that you can always learn something from another person. You can learn two things for sure, what to do and what not to do. So never get to a point, and we're going to get into this in our next point. Never get to the point that you think you've arrived so much that you can't learn from people around you. Listen, we can learn from the most innocent child how to act before the Lord, how to conduct ourselves, right? So, so we, whenever we become too callous with people, warning, 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 what leads to our next point is this. Is that if we can't get to a point that we stop craving evil things, we must begin to admit that, you know what, we, it's clear that we're not learning from other people's pains. If I'm still wanting, let's think about this. If I'm still wanting that thing, even though I'm watching that person going through something because they have chosen what I, have, you know, am struggling with, it says that I have not learned at all from the pains of other people. I haven't even learned from my past failures. But we must get to a point that we, we stop craving evil things which suggests that I have quickly learned from the pains of others. Which leads to our third point. How do we escape temptation? Always stay aware. Always learn from the pains of others. Is always acknowledge that you can fall. Verse 12 says this, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Pride of life. The scripture says pride comes before what? The fall. We must begin to understand that yes, I could be a royal priesthood, I could be a holy nation, I could be set apart and called to do great works. I could be kings, kids, and you can be daughters of the king, but at the end of the day, you, we, I still can fall. You see, and one of the biggest problems is this, is that when believers in Jesus Christ don't think they can fall, the, the, the unique thing begins to happen is this, is that we begin to start acting like peasants. Let me try to describe it. If I don't think that I can ever 
lie, cheat, and steal. Chances are, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to lie, cheat, and steal. So what we'll do as followers of Jesus Christ is, well, I, I will never lie, cheat, and steal. So I will never put any accountability measures around me. And inevitably, you know what I begin to act like? A peasant. Someone who's not a called out one. Someone who's not chosen. Someone who's not a king's kid, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. Because a king's kid, holy nation, understands you need bodyguards. The president of the United States of America, one of the most powerful persons on the face of this planet, guess what he has? Protection. He could, he could, he could pridefully say, well, no, I'm the powerful man, or most powerful man on the face of this planet. I don't need protection. Why do you see royalty with royal guards? Why does the Bible tell you and I, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another man's continents? Why does the Bible tell you and I that, you know what, bad company corrupts good morals? It's, it's simply telling you and I the, the opposite. Good company gives what? Good morals. So wisdom said, if I'm a king's kid and I'm a royal priesthood and I'm a holy nation and I'm not of this world, by George, you know what I need to do? I need to begin to set up guards around me, right? I need to begin to put, put uh, a hedge around me that will ultimately allow me to stay in the place of who I am. If not, like most Christians who say that I'm good without you, they end up eventually start acting like peasants in the kingdom. Listen, if we don't think that we need to learn from our children, our children will never respect us. I don't care how much you know Jesus. Okay, how much you know Jesus? If, if you're the most powerful person on your job today, and if you don't think that you can be ever learning, if you don't think that you can learn from your employers, your police, your subordinates, you will never be respected as an employer. Am I making sense? So it works conversely that, okay, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the head honcho on my job, but if you don't hear the voices of your people who you lead, it doesn't matter what your title is. They will respect, the way they respect you will be lesser than their peers. They will just show up for a paycheck every single day with malice and contempt in their hearts. The same is true as followers of Jesus Christ. The sooner we can recognize that, you know what? I, I am an inherently sinful person and all I need is the right seed, the right soil, and the right season, and I will fall. Please understand, that's not a weakness doctrine. You follow me? That's not a fear doctrine. That's not a timidity doctrine. That is understanding who you are and who he is. That I can do nothing without Jesus. And we're going to get into that. You know, it's, it's I am tethered to the cross. You see, the word thinks means this. If I cannot imagine, consider or appear. 
That happens so much in the church. We appear to be all together. We have all the Christianese, the Christian nuances, and we appear as though we've dotted every I, crossed every T. But at the end of the day, something would happen and will prove how we are not who we really say we are. Acknowledging you can fall is one of the best things you could ever do in your walk with Christ to keep you from falling. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. It says, seeing that his divine power has granted to you, please underline this, everything pertaining to life, pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. So, you know, through the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, you have every single thing you need in life to be a man, woman, child, parent, to be an employer, employee, anything on this horizontal plane, you have every single thing you need in Christ. But then it gets better. Then you have everything you need according to what? Godliness. You have everything you need vertically. You have everything you need horizontally, not in a man, not in a woman, not in power, not in prestige, but in the person of Jesus Christ and him and him alone. But then it gets better. Listen to what it says. Who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So think about that. So if I want God's precious and magnificent promises, it is tethered to what? My true knowledge of him. And it's tethered to what? How I conduct myself on this earth and how I relate myself vertically to him. And so many followers of Jesus Christ are finding themselves in this temptation hamster wheel over and over and over again, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, trying to work it out themselves because they're not seeing and experiencing the precious promises of God. Why? Because I'm trying to do it myself. I don't give God time to rescue me. Well, I'll fix them. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I'll fix her. Well, let's see. Let's see how good you're going to be in fixing her. Well, I'll fix my kids. Oh, you know, oh, you know. Listen, listen. <laughs> when they get to that age of accountability before God and that age that they're thinking on their own and doing, let's see how much you're going to fix them. Right? Listen, having a marriage license with both of your names on it don't make you any more influential in your husband or wife's life to make them do anything. Having titles on your name, in front or in back, does not give you and I the right and the privilege to make people do anything and see and also experience precious and magnificent promises you know you see this is the weirdest thing listen you know you can have been you could begin to add more zeros to your bank account and still not experience the precious and magnificent promises of God because it's not attached to zeros 
but it can't equate to zeros. So it says, so that by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by its lust. Do you see the connection? You want to escape the temptations and the corruption that is in the world by its lust? I experience the precious promises of God because I'm living a life here on this earth horizontally and vertically that's tethered to Jesus. Then look at verses 5 and 6. If you could turn with me to 2 Peter again, chapter 1. This, I encourage you to go back home and digest 2 Peter chapter 1 and just read it. And it should be one of the passages of scriptures that you go back to over and over and over again in your life, in your walk with Christ. Verse 5 and 6 says this. Now for this very reason also applying, so everything I just told you right before, now for this reason also applying all diligence in your faith. In other words, you can't be a slacker. You can't just come to church on Sunday. Applying all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, what? Knowledge. And in your knowledge, what? Self-control. And in your self-control, what? And in your perseverance, what? And in your godliness, what? And in your brotherly kindness, what? So think about this. If I go through life in 2021 and I have 10 close people in my life, five of them, I just love dearly with brotherly love and, and, and I, I, I'm fully invested in them. Then the other five, I can live without. That never happens in the church, right? But, right? but so think about that. So then let's say 2022 rolls around. And if that needle hadn't moved closer to loving the other t another five, have I added love? No. Self-control. So let's say in 2021, you, your, your problem was lust. You know, uh, in other words, you, you watch your pornography or whatever, and, and you just know, okay, this is my issue, and I just know God, need, God deliver me, deliver me, help me escape, okay? And, and you know there's just so many other things tethered to your decision of, of, of watching pornography. Well, 2022 rolls around, and you still watching pornography? Have you added self-control? You see, at the end of the day, if, if we're not adding the character of Jesus to our lives, the fall is inevitable. If you don't see the need to move in your life, relationally, 
on this earth? See, for instance, you see, some of your temptations may be financial. It's like, why, why am I in, always in this financial issue? Why, why am I always in this financial? Why is my family? It just seems like my whole family is in debt. And it's just, it's just like, and it's now in my life, and, and there's no financial stability. There's no financial progression. Do you think it's God? You're going to continue to fall and fall and fall until you learn how to be a better steward and have self-control and resist the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. Because the boastful pride of life is translated this way. I want to keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> I want to pay attention to and act like and be like everyone else, Right? but who I am. In other words, I will continue to live above my means, which simply says I will try to live and spend more than what God has given me to spend. But it's not until people start touching, to me, the five points of stewardship. You know what it is? If you have so much debt that you are, you have such tension that you can't give to God, number one. Number two, you have so much tension that you cannot even save. Number three, you have so much tension that you can't even clear your debt by any, any means, any logical progression. Number four, if you have enough money and you, you're so stressed out that you cannot think of others more valuable than yourself. That every penny is like, oh, we got to put it in our bank account. We got to put it in our bank account. It's all about us. And you don't even wake up thinking about how do you bless someone else. And number five, you can't even invest into your future. To me, those are the five points of biblical stewardship. Because a wise man stores up for his children's children. But it starts with you and I making decisions that I'm not going to let my eyes take over, my flesh take over, and my pride to take over and start spending more than I take in. If not, it'll just stay into the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And then you have people who cannot pay for funerals and pay for this and that of, of a parents who have just lived long lives. It's a difference if someone dies tragically, right? Then you got to scrape pennies up. But if someone has lived a long life and you know one day they're going to die, and as a parent, you haven't thought enough to say, I don't want this burden to be on my children. That's poor stewardship. Stewardship, for the record, is to the grave. It's to the grave. And why is stewardship so important? Because where your treasures are, that's where your heart will be. So you start acknowledging these things. That, God, something's wrong. Something has to be fixed. 
And then you start seeing God provide rooms for escape. He'll start putting people in your lives to help you understand financial stewardship. You know, he'll put people in your life to hold you accountable with your tongue and, and with your sexual addictions and passions and so forth. He'll start surrounding you with gatekeepers of the soul. That's what he does. But you got to first say, God, that could be me. Resistance to admitting our potential to fall simply says, fall, is, it, fall will be unavoidable to you, to me. If I simply can't admit it, pride comes before the fall. How do we escape? Become aware, learn from others, pain, acknowledge you can fall. And here's our last point for today, back in verse 12 in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Two key words that gives us our fourth and final point, that we must learn to remain alert. Alert. The words take heed means this, to watch out, to direct the eyes upon, to weigh carefully, to perceive with your senses, to feel, and here's the best one, to know by experience. Listen, some of us are, are just from the show me state, right? You know, I was the type of kid that uh, I'm gonna jump off the roof. You, you know, I'm just keep jumping. And my mother said, don't jump, don't, I'm just keep jumping. Then when I get hurt, it's like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't jump. And, and that's, mo that's most people. We, we just jump from the roof, jump from the roof, jump from the roof. You know, keep driving your car and you know something's wrong with it. You just keep driving it. And then it breaks down. Oh, well, maybe I should get it fixed. <laughs> Right? It's just, especially guys, we're wired that way. We, we just push it, push it, push it, push it, push it, push it toward the end. But at the end of the day, all of us must be quick learners that, that rest assured that most temptation, remember we said, is common to man. And the interesting thing about common is common to you. Right? Let's be real. Well, by the time we fall in a temptation, We've experienced it several times, right? We've gotten to the edge of the ride several times, right? We just, to the edge, to the edge, and we'll push it, and we'll push it, and we'll push it, and we'll push it, and then it happens like, oh, oh God, I can't believe I did that. Come on. <laughs> right? We're, we're, just, we're just so weird that way. It's like, oh, you know, I'm just going to push it, push the envelope, push the envelope, then when the envelope's um, envelope tears open. It's like, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I ripped the envelope. <laughs> so I believe by God's grace, what he will do, he will give us the privilege to fail and not fall. Wow. And you know what I'm talking about, right? We'll mess it up, mess it up, mess it up, mess it up, mess it up. And he'll just keep adding money to your bank account. Right? And, and we'll mess it up again, mess it up again. Okay, God, I'm going to give you yours. I'm going to give you yours. This time, really, honestly, God, I'm going to make sure I'm going to give you yours first. And we start bargaining with God, right? And, and God is just so good. And he'll be like, okay, all right, all right, son. All right, all right, daughter, okay, I get it. All right. But then what happens? Then, as Hosea said, then uh, you develop holes in your purses. 
you put it in your purse, it says with holes in it. We said this way, you start burning, your money start burning holes in your pocket. Like, where did it go? Like, where did it go? Where did it go? Well, why can't I pay for these tires? Oh, you, what's, because you used it. Well, you know, my car broke down. Oh, oh, God, I can't believe my car broke down. He's like, you'll get it, son. You'll get it, daughter. I gave you $100 here, $50 here, $25 here, $10 here, $100 here. But you spent it. Right? I mean, is it resonating the hope? Because I've been, how do I know? I've been there. I've been there like, okay, God, I will do it again. Please, please, God. I'm joking. I won't do it again. I've been there. Oh, God, please. Oh, God, turn the tie. And, and you know, and after a while, I was like, come on, Cedric. You know. You know you're wrong. Add it all up. Go, go check your bank. You know, go check your debit card. Go, go check it. Go, ch- go check it and see how much I put in your bank account prior to this automobile failure. Prior to this medical emergency, how much have I stored up, but you chose it to use it on the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Stay alert. Stay alert. Don't let your personal experiences be for nothing. Second Peter Verse 1, chapter 1, verses 8 through 10 goes on. And, and if you go back to there, it says this. And for these, quali- if these qualities, remember we talked about the others, you know, uh, moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and, and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. Listen to what it says. If these qualities are yours, but another key word, it says, and are what? Increasing. That's where a lot of Christians fail. It's like, oh, I'm loving more than yesterday. I'm better than I was yesterday. I'm more golly than I was yesterday. And then we stop increasing today. I'm not as bad as I used to be. And thank God we're not. But am I as good as I should be? No, we're not. On this side of heaven, we will never be as good as we should be. So we have to remain alert. We have to be remain alert and say, okay, God, I get it. I need to learn from my experiences. I need to be, it says, for if these qualities are yours and increasing. Listen, this is so sweet by God. It says, they render you neither useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of, our, of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, for he who lacks these qualities, guess what we are? We're blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his sins. Then it goes on. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So if I'm stumbling, guess what is happening? It's not increasing and I'm not practicing it. That's really what, if you 
flip it on the other side of the coin. If I'm stumbling, I'm not increasing. I'm stagnant. Men, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, it says this to you and I. Be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. It mentions, it mentions that only and specifically to us guys. Be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Then it actually, actually goes on to say, and everything you do, let it be done in love. But it starts with what? We got to stay alert, guys. Watchmen on the wall. But then there's also, there's this alertness in prayer. Ephesians 6.18. It says, with all prayer and petition at all the times in the spirit, and with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And then lastly, in Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11, and I shared earlier today that these verses are very dear to me because when my father passed away, um, my mother laid his Bible, you know, up on his, his, his chest, and it was turned to this passage. And, and, and I know why, and I've learned why later on in his life when he had his stroke, and uh, I flew from Jersey. I was, actually, I was in Florida. Flew home, Jersey, flew to uh, California. And within a 24-hour period, they say that's the most crucial time for any stroke victim. And I remember uh, sitting next to my dad, and my dad, within a 24-hour period of time of having a stroke, was quoting scripture. Totally changed my life. And totally affirmed in my heart and mind, the power of the word of God. That even as I'm reading the scripture and I'm reading some Psalms, I'll stop and he'll keep reciting it. Within a 24-hour period of time, stroke victim, unconscious, unaware, was reciting scripture. To me, that just shows you that the real man, right, is really alive number one, and then also the power of the word of God. So when you read this, Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11, it says, do not, it says, how can a young man uh, keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. But but this, in conclusion, is the problem with this verse in the body of Christ for each one of us, including myself in this room, is that if we know the value of the word of God, it then should help us become men and women who are more aware. Because that's what the word of God does. If you really understand the power and authority of the word of God, it should somehow temper, temper our hearts and allow us to enter and learn from the pains of other people. It should. And if, and if, if I really, really am hiding the word of God in my heart, it should give me a spirit of humility to realize that, you know what, God? Um, I probably should admit that one day I am capable of falling into sin 
So God, I really am leaning on the word of God and holding on to it in my heart so I may not fall. If the word of God is present in your life, it will keep you alert. The word of God is sharper and active, more active in any two-edged sword. Able to divide soul, spirit, bone, marrow. Remember, those are immaterial parts, the dividing of it. You can't see where soul and spirit begins. You cannot see where bone, marrow ends or begins. You know where bone is, but to the naked eye, you don't know where the joint and the marrow begins or ends. So understand the context of that. It's before you have imagery to show you one or the other. Is able to do what? Divide soul, spirit, bone, marrow, and this, this either uh, continues to further support it. It says, and thoughts and intentions of a man. You cannot see one's thoughts and you cannot see one's intentions. The word of God is able to dissect, navigate through the unseen, the unknown. So then why don't we become more aware? I believe the key word that we overlook is treasured. Because when I reach that place of temptation that is a part of my, the lust of my eyes, what normally happens is I don't treasure the word of God more than I treasure what I want. Right, let's, let's be honest, church. How many times the word of God is speaking to us and then all that guy needs to do is just look at you, all that girl needs to do is just look at you. All, all your wife needs to do is withhold her body from you and then you push the button because you treasure sex more than you treasure the authority of God's word. Or let me even be more specific. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God was made flesh and dwelt among us. We treasure the person more than we treasure Christ. Let's, let's you hear me? Because so many times you hear people, oh, I'm, oh, I'm meditating on the word of God, I'm trusting God's word, uh, but why are you still acting that way? Why are you still talking that way? Why are you still thinking that way? Why are you still living that way? Why are you still treating somebody that way? Because, listen, I treasure myself more than I treasure you in this relationship as a brother and sister in Christ. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to protect me more than I protect him. That's what it comes down to. It's like, no, 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 well, she's offending me. No, he, he's offending me. I can't believe it. He's not respecting me. She's not respecting me. So I'm going to tell him what I'm thinking. I'm going to tell him what I'm feeling. I'm not going to let them get away with that, right? You are treasuring you over you treasure the person of Jesus Christ. Which simply says, you're unaware, disconnected from the pains of others, that you're acknowledging that you are incapable of falling and you're clearly not alert because the word of God who lives in a man and a woman's heart 
who is the person of Jesus Christ, will not allow you to get away with that if you're truly following his lead. If you want to escape, you cannot discount, diminish, think less than, act less than who the word of God really is in the life of a believer. Listen, Jesus may not show up in the, in the flesh to you and say, don't do that. But by George, he should be whispering in your ear from the inside out every single time you're making a choice to move on the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Amen? So we began this journey with a uh, a illustration I gave you. Some of you may remember. Some of you may not been here. But I mentioned back in California that uh, I grew up in, in amusement park heaven, Southern California. You had Six Flags, Magic Mountain, of course, uh, Disneyland. You had SeaWorld. You had uh, everything. I can't even remember all of them. You had so many um, amusement parks. And, and of course, my favorite, like any child, was Disneyland, right? And we would go to Disneyland and, and get on these rides and uh, inevitably you, you, you find yourself on the, the faster rides, the scarier rides, and then you, you have your, your friends egging you on, family members egging you on. Say, oh, you scared? You, why, why, you don't want to ride? What's wrong with you? You don't want to go? And you know, on the inside, you are a little, little frightful, especially the first time around, right? You know, because you don't know how fast it's going to be and, and, and what's going to jump out behind the, you know, the wall or whatever. And um, we started developing a name for a door. And it was the last door and the last option before you got onto the ride. And we called it the chicken exit. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like that last door. You can see it in the distance. It's like, am I hopping in? Or do I want to exit stage left? I believe what God provides for each one of us is that chicken exit. You have that peer pressure, right? You have even that self-imposed pressure that should I do it, should I do it, should I do it, should I do it? And we will push it to the end. And God says, hey, look, look, look to your left, look to your left, look to your left. There's the exit. My question to you today is this. Uh, as you've been, most of you have been here for the entire journey of the series. Have you allowed the Lord to show you your exit? You know, in that area of life that you find yourself tempted over and over and over again, have you been open to say, God, can you know, is there an exit? Has there been an exit there all along? Show, show me the way out before I hop on the ride. And if you could just bow your heads with me, if you're here today and if you're watching online, and just ask the Lord to show you that exit. And for some, the exit is the need for Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus. In other words, some here and under the sound of my voice may not know where they're going to spend the rest of eternity. If they die today, do you know where you're going? Some of you today probably just realized that, you know, 
I need Jesus. And I didn't realize I needed him like this. But yet you now believe that Jesus Christ came to die for you. He was buried for you. And he rose again from the grave just for you. And I'd just like to lead you in a prayer that really just acknowledges this, that you have chosen to live a life apart from him, but now you realize that he came to die for you. And it goes like this. You could just say, Jesus, forgive me for I have sinned against you. I realize that I've been trying my best <laughs> to just live a life without you. But I now realize, Jesus, that you came to die for me. You were buried for me. You rose again from the grave just for me. Jesus, please come into my heart, my life, to live forever as my Lord and as my risen Savior. And if you're here today physically or even at home, could you stand to your feet with me, please? If we could just raise our hands and just, just ask the Lord in your own words that, again, that he will show you your room for escape. Maybe you need to ask him to open your eyes and your ears. Maybe it's to soften your heart. But from this day on that you will no longer get caught up in the traps but you will find the escape, the escape that he's given you. And you will patiently endure until you discover it. Father, I pray that you would just accomplish everything that we've learned in this series in our hearts and minds of your people. Bless them and keep them. Let your face and your grace, my God, shine upon them. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that generational sins and habits will be broken right now in the name of Jesus. That, God, that you will put an end to just ongoing uh, family narratives that are not like you, Jesus. That you will raise up men and women, Lord, who will be steadfast, immovable always abounding in the good work of the Lord, knowing that their toil is never in vain. Send us in the highways and the byways, oh God, that we may reach all nations and tribes and tongues, compelling them to come in that your house of worship may be filled. Put people in our hearts, Lord, to share our faith with. Help us, Lord, to be men and women whose, whose evangelism and missional temperature is always hot and considering of how do we plant and water and see people come to know Jesus? Use us mightily. In the magnificent, most powerful name of Jesus Christ, we agree and all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap? Thank you again for listening to Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church. If you would like to learn more about Jesus Christ, please visit our website, www.commitmentchurch.org start. This website will walk you through having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
Please let us know if you have made a decision to follow Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, or if you would like to support God's Word through this ministry by visiting www.commitmentchurch.org. You can also visit loveallnations.org for more information and to receive encouraging videos. Lastly, if you or your family reside in the South Jersey area, please visit us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. May God bless you and have a wonderful day.